You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Amen. Good morning, church. To those of you who are here, those of you who are in overflow, or those of you who are joining us on live stream, just want to welcome you today uh, to Hope Bible Church. Boy, he got up early today. Why is he up preaching so early? What's going on? Hey, if you've got a copy of God's Word, would you go with me to Exodus chapter 12? Now, that's not the main passage we're going to be in. We're going to get to 1 Corinthians 11 in a bit, but I want to start you in Exodus chapter 12. We're going to wrap up a sermon series that we've been in this fall on the church today, looking specifically at the Lord's Supper, and here is the goal of our time together, that we would understand more accurately and then therefore practice more rightly the Lord's Supper, that the beauty and the glory of the Lord's Supper and all that it means and all that it means to us as followers of Christ would impress upon our hearts ever more and that the glory of the Lord would shine through us today. Now, Jesus gave many commands in the New Testament in his earthly ministry, but he only gave two, you can count them, two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, what's an ordinance, you ask? Well, an early church father by the name of Augustine said this. He said, it's a visible form of an invisible grace. From last week, if that doesn't make sense to you, consider an ordinance like a wedding ring. It is the symbol of a relationship that reminds you of the relationship, but it's not the relationship itself. Nobody gets married to their wedding ring. They get married to the person who gave them the wedding ring. It's an outward sign of an inward truth. It's not the grace, but it's a sign, it's a picture of the grace. Now, I like that word picture, so let's just run with that for a second. So what we're saying with these ordinances is that Jesus has given us two pictures, pictures that were to put up in the walls of our hearts to remember. And just like you in your house hang up pictures in your walls to remind you and to draw your heart to the things that you love and that you value the most, the things that you even love and cherish the most, you hang up those pictures and put them on the wall. That's what Jesus has given to us in baptism and the Lord's Supper. And specifically in those two things, it's been pictures of the relationship that he has with us. Pictures that tell of his kindness, pictures that tell of his forgiveness, pictures that tell of his mercy and his grace and his love and his sacrifice for us. Pictures that say that this relationship that Jesus has with us is entirely because of his work for us. But now think back to your pictures that hang in your wall. It's true, though, the funny thing about pictures hanging up on your wall is that sometimes you kind of don't notice that the pictures are hanging up on your walls, right? Do you go into your house and stare at the same seven pictures in a single circuit every time you walk in the house? Hang on, I've got to look at this picture. Hang on, I've got to look at this picture. Then I've got to look at this picture. Then I've, you look at all seven and then you sit down and you say, okay, finally I'm home. That's not how it works, right? You hang it up, you forget it. You're like, oh yeah, I hung that picture up. Oh, I can't believe I was wearing that shirt. Oh wow, look at how much hair I've lost. That's what happens to pictures, right? You forget them. You don't really notice them. True? True. 
It's possible to forget pictures. It's possible to downplay pictures. It's possible to be flippant with them. It's possible to grow tired of them. True in our houses, and sadly, it's true in our churches as well. So I'll tell you right away, right now, the win for us today in our church is that our hearts would be united more than ever together as we celebrate the Lord's Supper with a deeper knowledge that leads to a deeper love and a worship for the Lord. And if that happens today, if that's the outcome of today, well then praise the Lord. That our hearts would be drawn into the beauty and the glory of the Lord's Supper, that we would worship the Lord Jesus and cherish him and love him even more than ever. That's the goal. But here's the thing. I'm not going to see it. And the person you came in with is not going to see it. And Buddy sitting behind you is not going to see it. Uh, unlike other weeks, there's nothing in the lobby for you to go out and pick up and sign up for or take or consider. This week, this week is between you and Jesus. Just you and him. Jesus, who is always speaking to you and always looking for your heart, you're going to know, and he's going to know, but that's it. So for that quiet work, epic work, but quiet work to happen in our hearts today, we need the Lord to help us in that. We need the Lord to bring our hearts to a place of celebrating the Lord's Supper more meaningfully than you've ever done before. So it seems like a good place for us to pause and for me to ask the Lord to do what only he can do. So let me pray for our time. Heavenly Father, we do ask and we do pray that you would please open up our minds, that we would see truth more clearly than we've ever seen it before, and embrace the impact of what your word teaches us, that the result would be a deeper love for you, a de deeper desire for obedience a deeper desire for repentance and turning away from things we need to turn away from, and the result being of greater glory to you. But that's not something that some guy up front can tell people to do. That's not something that your neighbor or your spouse can tell you to do. That's something that every single one of us needs you, Lord, to convince our hearts of. So would you do that, God? Please, please, Lord, would you speak to our hearts and convince us? And then what would happen in this room minutes from now would glorify you so much. Please, Lord, for your glory and our great joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take you to a first table. This first table takes place 1,400 years before Jesus began his earthly ministry. Before there was a cup and before there was bread at a table, before the Lord Jesus began healing, before the cross, 1,400 years before that, there was a meal that's recorded in Scripture. It, it's a feast, but it's a feast on the run. It, it's a feast you grab and you go with. And it's incredibly important for us to understand today Exodus chapter 12 records for us the Passover. Now, context for you, Israel is an oppressed nation on the verge of genocidal eradication 
by the Egyptians. The Egyptians, the global superpower, had been for thousands of years now housing the millions of Israelites and now wanting them dead. Unstoppable in military might. Chariots, horsemen, javelin throwers, skilled warriors, nothing touches their boundaries. They take what they can get. They're unstoppable except that they're about to be stopped. Because the Israelites have as their only defense the Lord of hosts. The God who can exhale stars and planets into existence. The God who breathes out continents and breathes out oceans. And the God who has promised the Israelites that he would be their God and he would be protecting them. This God steps in to defend his people. And so to break the grip of a global superpower of the day, the Lord sends nine plagues that read like an action movie. If you want to check it out, Exodus 1 to 11, nine plagues to break the teeth of the Egyptians. And now comes this final plague, the plague of the firstborn. But Israel will be safe if they do as the Lord commands. Exodus chapter 1 Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land, This month shall be for you the beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Now flip over to verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Belts fastened, sandals on, staff in hand. This is food on the run because the people of God are just about to be delivered. It's guaranteed they can bank on it. The star exhaling God is going to deliver them. Get ready, Israel. You're going to be free. And sure enough, as dawn meets the day, the cries of the Egyptians mourn the loss of the firstborn and the Israelites are delivered from bondage and slavery by the hand of the Lord and by the blood of the Lamb. By the hand of the Lord and the blood of the Lamb. See, this meal is so critical for Israel. It marks the birth of their nation. Who is Israel? Well, they're the people of God who were rescued by God from Egypt. And Passover would remind them every year, year after year after year after year, that they were a people who were enslaved, but they are the only people ever who have been ransomed out of slavery by the hand of God and made his very own people. See, the picture of the Passover is a physical deliverance from slavery. 
The meal defines the people. They all celebrate it. No one else could. It told every Israelite year after year after year after year that they were enslaved. But their God is a God who rescues and frees from slavery. Now let's go from that first table. And let's jump ahead 1,400 years from Egypt to Palestine, the city of Jerusalem specifically. Just outside of the temple to the 14th day of the first month in the Jewish calendar, now at a second table, Jesus sits. You don't have to turn there. Mark records it for us. I'll put it on the screen for us. We read these words. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after he blessed it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And they said to him, and he said to them, this is my body, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let me give you two points for today's message. The first point, I'll phrase it as a question. It's this, what is the Lord's Supper? What is the Lord's Supper? We're going to answer that question. Well, the scene that we've just read that Mark's gospel records for us in Mark chapter 14, that's actually a Passover feast. You get that, right? And so in Jerusalem, at twilight, all of the lambs, scores of them, would be killed and consumed in remembrance of this great and awesome physical deliverance of the Lord out of the hands of the Egyptians. And just like countless Jews before him, Jesus would follow the format of the Passover meal, except that he departs from the normal way of doing things, right in the middle of the celebration. He picks up unleavened bread, he holds it to his disciples and says, this is my body, which is broken for you. That's not part of how you operate a Passover. The Israelites were told how to do this in the Old Testament. Jesus is breaking with the norm. And then when the supper's done, he takes the wine and says, in effect, I'm attaching new significance to this element also. As you celebrate the Passover, this wine is my blood. Not the blood of a lamb in the Old Testament whose blood marked the doorpost and the lintel, but now this cup is my blood. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Do you see what he's done there? He's moved them off the norm of Passover to explain the picture that they're looking at. Jesus is saying, essentially, in this moment, in this room, I am the Passover. I am the lamb. I am the one who will be sacrificed for you. It's by my blood being poured over the doorposts of your life that you will escape the wrath of God. Jesus is saying, from now on, it's my blood which is shed for the remission of your sins. This is the blood of the new covenant. This new covenant that he instituted that very night fulfills the old covenant and gives it its fullest expression. And where the Passover declared physical deliverance from the bondage of wrath and God, now Jesus declares something far more. You see, for 1,400 years, year after year after year after year after year in celebration, Jesus points to that and says, all of that, it's all pointing to me. I am the lamb. 
And just as you were saved physically from the judgment by faith in the blood of a lamb in Egypt, now you are saved in me by my blood. You see, the Passover was a picture that hung on the walls of the Israelites' heart. It would remind them of the deliverance of the Lord year after year. And in this room, at the second table, as the disciples look on again at the picture, the Lord tells them, you're looking at this picture, but this picture is about me. What you've been looking at all of your lives, what generations past have looked at all of their lives celebrating this event, it's all about me. It's all about Jesus. And before the sun would wipe away the night, Jesus, the Lamb of God, would hang upon the cross, sacrificed for the sins of the world, bringing so much more than physical deliverance, innocent and yet slain for you and I. Under the wrath of man and facing the judgment for my sins, Jesus takes my place. He dies for me that I might have life in him. And this cycle of sin in my life over and over and over again and the power of Satan over my life and the destiny of hell that I faced, all of it Jesus shatters as this great love which binds his hands to the cross keeps him there and Jesus dies in my place. Now I am forgiven in Christ Jesus. Now I am declared righteous in Christ, Christ Jesus. Now I am welcomed into the presence of God, not as a slave, but as a son of God. All of this because of what he has done. Nothing because of what I have done. All because of Jesus Christ. All because the great lamb of God was slain for me. What is the Lord's Supper? It's a picture of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, given for me, given for you, that we might have life. It's a picture of an ocean of love that was poured out upon me and poured out upon you. It's a picture of my freedom from sin and death because my Savior took my place for me. He took those things upon himself. It is a picture of the glory of our God and his mercy, and his grace. The Lord's Supper is not just something you do. It brings us into identity with something we are because of who Christ is. That's what the Lord's Supper depicts to us. That's what it means. But then secondly, how should we observe the Lord's Supper? Now, to answer that question, I'm going to ask if you can, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. Let's get the truth of God's word in front of us. And under this big umbrella of how should we observe the Lord's Supper, I'm going to answer three questions under this that you may be having. One, what are the elements that we use? Two, uh, how often should we participate in the Lord's Supper? And then three, how do we personally prepare our hearts for it? 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, gives us an oft-quoted and familiar passage. Let me begin reading in, again, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, by the way, some of you may have grown up calling the Lord's Supper something different. Uh, What you need to know is that within that passage, uh, 1 Corinthians, all of those phrases come out. So maybe some of you were raised calling it the Eucharist. Uh, That's uh, a a Greek word, eucharisto, which just means to give thanks. And you can see that in idea brought across in verse 24. Or how about growing up with communion? That's how I grew up calling it. Uh, That just means to come together. And you can see that idea in verse 17, verse 18. Uh, Some of you grew up in brethren backgrounds, and you uh, talk about breaking bread together. Uh, That is also found in 1 Corinthians 11, but the only title given that we see is uh, verse 20, which is the Lord's Supper. And that's why here at our church, we call it the Lord's Supper. You're understanding, aren't you, that the name of what you call it is not as important as the meaning and the practice, okay? You call it potato, I call it potato, it's the same thing, okay? The name doesn't mean anywhere near as important as what's actually happening inside. Okay, first question I want to give you, what are the elements we use, okay? Uh, What do we do for this picture? How do we celebrate this picture? If baptism, the other ordinance that Jesus gave to us, the symbol and the element is the plunging under the water, what does this ordinance use? Well, it's fairly simple. Uh, Verse 23, we see there's bread, right? The bread is used. And then in verse 25, you can read that, is the cup or wine is used. But that may bring up other questions that you might have. Like, should we use real wine? What kind of wine should we use? Should it be red or white? What year should we use? Should it be Niagara or does it have to be from Israel? Is grape juice okay? Can the bread be leavened? Uh, What if the bread has yeast in it? Can Can it be a loaf of bread that we tear apart or crackers that we break apart? Well, you know, I've read a book about gluten, and I know that, you know, actually, scientifically, first century wheat DNA doesn't actually exist anymore, so what do we do with that? Uh, uh, What about me? I'm gluten-free. What if I live in a climate where wheat is not the dominant grain to be easily accessed? What about if I can't find grapes where I live? Now, those are all really interesting questions, and they're not ones that I'm going to answer. Because they're questions that aren't central to the observance of the Lord's Supper. Because this is a picture of the grace that's given to us. The elements themselves are not special. They don't convey the grace or give the grace. It's a picture of the grace. It reminds us of the grace. What we're saying here is it's not the substances that are critical. It's the meaning behind the substances that are. And Jesus is always only speaking and looking at the heart, the heart that overflows into our actions. So in our church, we go with grape juice and cracker. And now, in COVID season, we go with noisy packages unwrapped at the worst possible moment in the service. (laughs) Much love, much love. 
Okay, now, next question. How often should we practice the Lord's Supper? We get some clues from God's Word. Uh, on the one hand, you can look in verse 25 there. It says, Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, that seems to suggest that churches should celebrate the Lord's Supper often, but it doesn't specify how often. Did you notice that? Uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, I'll put the verse up for you, in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, Paul is in Troas, and he's speaking about something different, but we get a clue from this in chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, that's the Lord's Supper, break bread, that may suggest that at least in Troas, the Lord's Supper was an essential part of their weekly meeting. But here's the thing, here's the thing, that's all we get in the New Testament. That's about it. So at Hope Bible Church, we have taken the approach that we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper frequently and reverently. As frequently as possible, so as to be as reverent as possible. So you don't forget the picture that hangs on the wall. So you don't downplay it. So you don't dismiss it. It's not just something you do at the beginning of the service or the end of the service. Frequent enough that it retains value. That's what we were looking for. And what that looks like in our church is usually 12 to 14 times a year. Often it's at the front of the month or sometimes, like today, at the end of the month. Okay, now you may be saying timeout, Craig. So you've just said that the composition of the elements isn't really essential. And the timing isn't really exact. Well, does anything matter? Like, come on, Craig. Does anything matter? Well, I'm glad you asked. And don't be so angry with me. What's wrong with you? Here's what matters, okay? Here's the really big deal. Here is the thing that matters the most. The heart, the heart, the prepared heart. Every time we step into the Lord's Supper, it is a big deal that we prepare our hearts because it is possible, it is very possible to do the wrong thing. I want you to look back to 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. And by the way, this is not one of the gospel accounts. We get the gospel accounts of the Lord's Supper, and then we get Paul talking about it over here decades later to Corinth. Why is he writing Corinth about it? Because they're doing it wrong. They're messing it up. They're not doing it as how the Lord intended. It is possible to do this really wrong. Look at verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there's divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you must be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. For in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Verse 22, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? I love the ending of this. What am I going to do with you? Should I commend you in this? No, I won't. I love it. See, the church at Corinth was practicing this wrong. That much is certain. There were factions. There were disagreements. You had rich and poor within the church like you have now. And the rich were finishing their workday first. So they came together. They had a big banquet. 
hey, we're breaking bread together. But that's just a breaking of bread. That's just the Lord's Supper with just the people that are rich. And then the poor, tired, huddled masses of slaves and, and lower states come in at the end of the day, and they don't have much food, and the banquet's already over, and the party's already over, and you're trying to have a, a, a community together in this. And Paul says, this is crazy. That's not what the Lord's Supper is about. Go eat and drink in your own homes. This is way more serious. You are supposed to be coming together. But when you do, you're actually fracturing and dividing. And so Paul recalibrates them. And he tells them the truth. We've already read these words, but they're worth reading again. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, Corinth was doing it wrong. Fail. And Paul says, this is how you do it right. It's far more than just a meal you have. So much more. In fact, as he calls them to prepare their hearts, we're going to be looking together, at, and I'll put a visual behind me, of how you can be preparing your heart in the next little bit. And I'll fill it in as I talk. This diagram will fill in. And uh, I want to give you five looks as to how to prepare your heart, okay? This is the practical piece for you that only you and the Lord will see, okay? So the first piece, the first look is to look back. Look back at the cross. And that's very clearly in our text. Do this in remembrance of me. When we gather together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're not gathering together to get full in our bellies, to enjoy great food together. That's not the purpose of this. When we gather together, we are coming together to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for my sin. I gather to worship him. I remember that I was a sinner separated from the grace of God, and I remember that he gave his life, his precious life. The creator of the universe gave his life for me. He died for the worst. He died for the prostitutes who were watching him and the cowards who ran. He died for the Roman murderers who nailed his hands to the cross and the religious authorities who mocked him. He died for the people who even chose a murderer over him. He died for Peter who denied him three times. He died for Mary, his mom, who was confused about him. And Paul, who imprisoned and killed his followers. He died for them. And he died for me. And he died for you. And listen, I know who I am. I don't deserve what was given to me in Christ. The worst of the worst, the chief of sinners, lost without a hope, by nature a child of wrath, but God showed his love for me in that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. It was my sins, just as much as it was their sins, that Jesus died for. So preparing my heart for the Lord's Supper means that I look back at the work of Christ upon the cross and my sin and the weightiness of it. But that also brings a second look, looking up. As you ask the question, which maybe you've never asked before, why in the world would God do that for me? Now on your good days, when things are going well, and you feel really amazing, you might have an answer for that. But what about on the other days 
why would God die for me? Why would God lay his life down for you? Can you think of anything more awful? Can you think of anything more awful than dying for people who have rejected you, who hate you, who despise you, every single one of them running away from him? Can you think of anything more awful than dying for people who would hurt you to willingly offer your life for them? You could probably make a list of people that you would die for. Probably be a short list. Probably be your kids, right? You would die for your kids that you love, but you wouldn't die for people like this who reject you and mock you and scorn you and beat you. Can you think of anything worse than laying down your life for people like that? Well, I can. Actually, I I sincerely can think of something worse than that. What if it wasn't my life that was laid down? What if it was my son's life? What if my son died for people like this? And I had to watch that happen. Now that's pain. That's the pain of God the Father. Why would God do this? Why would Jesus lay down his life for me? Why would the Father suffer so for me? I mean, you die for kids that you love, but would you die for people like this? And that's it right there. That's the answer. Why would God die for someone like you? You can only picture, you can only imagine dying for your children. That's it right there. That's why God did this for you. You die for kids that you love. And God did this to demonstrate the overwhelming ocean of love that he has for you and the desire he has for you to be his child. That's who gives his life for you. The God who loves you so much, unfathomably deep, is the ocean of the love that God has upon us. And he proves it at the cross, even today. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. He gives his life for you. That's how much he loves you. Do you think of the insanity now trying to add to your salvation? I need to be better, I need to try harder, I need to work more. That's not how God is. God doesn't want all your efforts. God just wants you. He just wants you and your brokenness to return to him in his fullness and forgiveness and grace and mercy. Daughter, son, he knows who you really are. And he loves you. He just wants you. We look back and we look up at the love of God shed upon us. But then there's a third look. We also look around. The Lord's Supper is not to be some private devotional experience that just happens to involve a bunch of other people in the room doing the same thing at the same time, okay? That's not what this is about. 
This is not all about all of us dropping our heads and checking our email all at once. And, oh, we just happened to check our email, but my email's about me and your email's about you and oh well. No, this is about all of us together, the community of God together on the same page together. So it's right for us in the Lord's Supper to look around at the people of God that we're in community with. So, like, look around. You mean like right now? Yeah, like right now. Like, it's okay. I know we're in Canada and people don't do that. You're not allowed to look someone in the eyes. But like, just turn your head. Just do me, just, 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 just you know, humor me and turn your head around like this, okay? Thank you. This is the people of God. You know, this is one service, hundreds here. Previous service, hundreds there. Wouldn't it be great if one day all of our church could get together and we could all do this all at once in some gigantic place? Maybe your backyard or something. <laughs> but we do this together, and there's a real thing about us being together and celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And if this time and this age has not taught us one, has taught us one thing, it's the need we have for each other. And if what this series is teaching has taught us anything, it's we need each other. The church is a beautiful place. It's a broken place. It's a hurting place. But it is a place that is filled upon the love of God. And we are to be a community that cheers for each other. So that point in mind then, as you looked around or maybe thought in your head, is there any breaches in this, in your heart, against the people of God? Any kind of hardness of heart? Lack of forgiveness? Anything that needs to be repaired that God is placing upon your heart right now? I'd encourage you, even as quick as possible, maybe even after the service, make that right. Send the email, write the note, call. Face-to-face, -face, make it right. Third, or fourth. So we, we looked back, we looked around, we looked up, and now, fourthly, we look within. We look within. Verse 27, down in the text says, Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, Let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. There's been consequences to their disobedience and their lack of examining their hearts. And let me just say this because I haven't said it yet. If you haven't picked up on this already, the Lord's Supper is a community-defining meal. It takes place among all of us who have by faith trusted in the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It is not for you if you have not yet done that. This is a community meal that we take together, but it is also a community meal that does not allow for you to sit there as a member and a follower of Christ in unrepentant, unconfessed sin. You need to examine your heart. And when a person participates in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, instead of drinking a cup of blessing, they're bringing a cup of cursing. It means you're trivializing what God has done. You're taking light, making light of the sin and, and the cross and, and the love of God. You're just making light of it. It's no big deal. I can live my life and still participate in that. That's not, that's wrong. You're bringing judgment upon yourself. And listen, God is not going to be mocked. If people celebrate one of the most sacred activities within the church this way and do it in an inappropriate way, they open themselves to judgment. So it's right that we examine ourselves. It calls us now to look at any unconfessed sin in our life. What business do you need to do with God right now? Where are you resisting obedience in your life? Where is the apology that needs to be given to someone in your life? 
the forgiveness that you need to seek. Lord, help us repent. Where have you diminished God and you bought lies about him? He's not as powerful as I thought. He's not as loving as I thought. He's not as in charge as I thought. He doesn't really know. He doesn't really care. Lies about God. Where have you lost hope because you've lost sight of God? Lord, help us repent in this. Where's the anger that's bursting out against family and friends and spouses and bosses and coworkers? Lord, help us repent. Where's the covetousness, the desire for more and more and more and more and never satisfied with what you have? I always need more. Lord, help us repent of this. Where's the laziness? Where's the greed? Where are the lies? Where's the sexual immorality? Where do you need me to repent and ask for forgiveness, Lord? Maybe even practically some of you listen to the last week's message on baptism. And you know that you're a follower of Christ and you need to be obedient in this. And you have not stepped forward. You need to repent and walk with God in obedience in this. Use this time. The Lord's Supper is an appropriate time to examine yourself and confess your sins to God. And, and, and a reminder, you're not coming to the Lord's Supper because you're clean from all sin. Hello, that's never going to happen. The Lord's Supper is a gospel moment where you recognize that even though you are broken and sinful, even though you are flawed and failing, even though you make mistakes every day, you cling to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness of sins. You're not coming because of your perfection. You're coming to his perfection. It's his grace. It's a picture of grace, not a picture of your awesome achievement, okay? So don't buy the lie that you're going to be perfect, but don't buy the other lie that you can tolerate some of these sins. And it's okay. It's not really a big deal. God doesn't see So what we're going to do right now is is I'm going to lead you in prayer. The worship team is going to come up. And we're going to take an opportunity, an extended opportunity for you to ask the Lord, what's in my life, God? What do you need exposed in my life? What can I repent of, God? How can I ask for your forgiveness, God? And we're going to ask that the Lord lead our hearts now in this time. And then when I say amen, the worship team is going to sing over us. And you can sing along if you'd like. You can continue to pray if you'd like. You can even move your head around and look around the worship center if you like. You have my permission for that as well, okay? And then when that song is done, I'll come up, and then together, now, together, we take the elements, okay? All right, let me pray for us and lead us in this time. Father, we do ask now that you would be directing hearts to you. Maybe this is, maybe this is your prayer. Lord, right now, please, May this be the most worshipful time that I have ever done this. The most worshipful time of celebrating the Lord's Supper from my life. And so to that, God, I pray that you would draw out from us the things that need forgiveness. Please, God, wash us clean. Where's the anger, the self-righteousness, the lies, the confusion, the licentiousness. We come to you, Lord, not because of our own merits, but because of your great mercy. We're reminded again that forgiveness is found at the cross, and so Lord, dig out, please. Root out 
Where am I not being obedient, Lord? Where am I believing lies instead of truth? Jesus, it is my desire that this celebration of your life would be the most meaningful to my heart. Please continue to lead us now as we worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.